Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents... This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. Welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. Tensions are skyrocketing around the globe as the Israel-Hamas war is escalating. So who is Hamas? What is their history? Who is Hezbollah? And how big of a role does Iran play in their financing and other major support? Joining us now is the best Mideast expert out there, Waleed Fares. He's also a former Trump campaign foreign policy advisor. He is also the author of a very powerful book. It's called Iran, an Imperialist Republic and U.S. Policy. Waleed, thanks so much for being here on the podcast. Thank you so much, Rita, for having me with you tonight. So give us a little history, first off, of Hamas, because so many people are learning about this ruthless terrorist organization. Unfortunately, people are learning now about what has been uh, developing for decades. Hamas is a very strange, unique, Islamist, jihadist, terrorist organization. By the way, legally speaking, it is on our U.S. list of terror organization to begin with. But it has two parents from different parts of the Middle East. Initially, Hamas was a chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood was launched in the 20s, late 20s in Egypt, and then it developed across the whole Middle East. It had chapters everywhere. And the Palestinian chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood slowly but surely became Hamas, meaning the Islamic resistance of Palestine. So they are grounded in the ideology of jihadism, of Salafism, which means the ultimate goal is not just Gaza. The ultimate goal is not just Palestine. The ultimate goal is the whole Middle East becoming a caliphate. So that's why when people compare Hamas to ISIS, they are comparing one branch of the caliphate to another branch of the caliphate. So there are Sunnis coming from a Sunni background, but radical as well. Now, Hamas has been acting against Israel, but also against other regimes or other governments in the region, uh, mostly backing the jihadists who are in the Sinai Peninsula. And therefore, Hamas was training those jihadists to fight against the Egyptian army uh, of the government, of the Egyptian government of uh, President Sisi. But with time, Hamas connected with Hezbollah. Now, Hezbollah belongs to another branch, another tree. And who's the mothership of that tree? The Iran regime. Though Hamas is Sunni and Hezbollah is Shia, but Hezbollah funded Hamas and therefore later on Iran funded Hamas. So now Hamas responds to two masters, if you want. One is in Tehran, that's the Iran Khomeinist regime, and the other one are the Muslim Brotherhood, wherever they are, including 
some of their leaders are gathered in Qatar. Qatar is is a is a you know should be a a partner with us, but we can talk about it later. And therefore, Hamas now, practically speaking, let me close on that point, is part of the machine, the big machine in the Middle East that wants the destruction of Israel, that wants to bring down all these Arab governments, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, UAE, Bahrain, and obviously has been crushing the minorities and wants the ultimate destruction of the United States. So Iran has Hamas, it has Hezbollah. It has militias in Yemen. It has militias in Syria and the Hashid organization in Iraq. Now, Hamas was elected, right, in Gaza. Explain sort of the history, because they had an election there in 2006. Well, guess what happened before the elections or after the elections? There was Fatah movement, which is part of the mainstream Palestinian PLO, or now the Palestinian Authority under Mahmoud Abbas. And then Hamas, they ran for elections. And what did Hamas do? As a good jihadi organization, they conducted a coup d'etat. They killed hundreds and hundreds of Fatah members. People tend to forget, but you can still Google it and go back, that that was not really an election. It was a coup. They threw uh, high leaders of uh, Fatah from from the balconies. They slaughtered them. They jailed them. So the situation between Hamas and Fatah is not ideal, but Hamas immediately controlled the Gaza Strip, immediately obtained support from the Muslim Brotherhood, and immediately afterwards obtained the support from the Iran regime. Hamas, technically, legally speaking, was not elected elected in a democratic way. That's very interesting because some people have made it sound like uh, a lot of the people in the Palestinian territory there at the Gaza Strip Hamas. How many people do you think to this day in that area support Hamas? I've seen some reports, Waleed, that I think they were saying about 600,000. Is it that big out of the 2.3 million in the Gaza Strip? I wouldn't think so. Remember, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union at one point had 20 million members over the Soviet Union, which was 200 million, 20 million by itself. Obviously, these were people who wanted to live off uh, the ruling party. The same way in the Nazi party, the National Socialist Party, uh, during the Third uh, Reich, uh, were in the millions. But once the regimes were removed, in 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed, how many communists or members of the Communist Party remained? 60,000. 60,000. Same goes, obviously, the Nazi party was banned uh, in, in modern Germany. But this is to let you know that fascist regimes, totalitarian regimes, because they are in power, they tend to hire many and they control the media and they have, of course, the security control. So you, you would go to that number that appears to be very high, but it's 600,000 out of 2 million. But I can guarantee you one thing. Once Hamas is not you know, armed and in control, and real elections are taking place, there will be Islamists. You're going to find the Islamists, like in Tunisia, like in Egypt, but the majority, which I am monitoring online. See, that's different from the old days. I see what the youth, the actual youth, liberal youth of uh, Gaza, even Gaza, the most radical place on earth or in the Middle East, they don't like Hamas. But what can they do? So we will know, Rita, after the disintegration or dismantling or whatever is going to be the status of Hamas after the Israeli operation, 
and there will be an establishment of an interim administration in Gaza, and the next elections, then you and I will discuss it on another podcast. How ruthless is Hamas? Hamas is to the jihadists. I mean, they are jihadists, but within the jihadists, you have levels of, of ruthlessness. They are the Khmer Rouge of the Middle East, along with ISIS. See, you have the Brotherhood, you know, you have the Ba'ath regime, you have all these radicals, but Hamas is genocidal. I mean, after we have been able to see the videos, the pictures of what they have perpetrated inside the Negev desert, meaning inside Israel, now Hamas is considered really as an ISIS-like organization. And that's very, very troubling because Israel has trusted some theories at the time that many Americans have adopted, that if you give them jobs, if you give jobs to the people who work uh, under Hamas, they will then serve democracy, they will change. What happened was Israel gave hundreds of thousands of, uh, of permits, work permits, for Hamas individuals. Actually, Israel gave it to Palestinians, like hundreds of thousands of Palestinians, but tens of thousands of, uh, of, of Hamas members moved into Israel. And one of the missions they've done, they have executed, was to spy, to establish the maps of the attacks. And when we saw, when we really saw via video and uh, pictures and reports, the kind of barbary, barbarism that they have applied. I mean, killing civilians already is a big deal. What they've done to women, capturing women and you know taking them hostage and with all what goes on in, in these situations. But the worst has been is to capture babies, kill them, and slaughter them. That does not belong in the 21st century. That really belongs in the 7th, 8th, or 9th, and doesn't belong really to the human race, what they've done. Does this mean that once someone is a terrorist, they're always a terrorist? Yes, but you have levels of terrorism. I mean, the, um, the IRA in Britain, for example, was considered as a terrorist organization then was upgraded, the French resistance was called. But of course, in the Arab world, uh, all these movements, the jihadi movements, at least apply the set of principles that they announce that they follow. Even in the text of Islam, there is no killing and torturing of children. That does not exist. You can kill your enemy, you could even uh, behead your enemy as adults, but what they've done to the children, this, there is a massive psychological problem in that society that is ruled by the jihadists. The jihadists have been transformed into beasts or, or, or monsters, psychological monsters we have not seen before. And Walid, what's the difference between the Hamas and also in Gaza, Islamic Jihad? And the reason I bring that up, we heard a lot about it during uh, the hospital where there was the explosion and there was a lot of discussion. Did it come from Hamas? Did it come from Islamic Jihad? There were, of course, the accusations at first. Maybe it came from Israel. Information showing us clearly otherwise. But now they're saying that it was an errant rocket from Islamic Jihad. Describe the what sort of the difference is between that and Hamas to the person on the outside. <laughs> Islamic Jihad is a more extreme version of Hamas. Look where we are right now. Islamic Jihad is smaller in size. It, it reminds me of the FPLP compared to Fatah in the 70s and early 80s, uh, you know, fighting the West Bank and in Lebanon. So Islamic Jihad basically 
is an offshoot of Hamas, people who are not even satisfied with the ideology of Hamas. This is because Hamas says, you know, I will content myself now with Gaza, I'll establish an Islamist emirate, and then I will unite with the West Bank. We both establish a greater kind of emirate, and then we will liberate Israel or Palestine from Israel. Islamic Jihad wants to go even further. They want to take over in Egypt. They want to take over in Jordan. Actually, Islamic Jihad is, has been connected to Al-Qaeda and eventually with Daesh or ISIS. So it's a, it's a more extreme version of Hamas. How concerned should the world be? Um, and of course, they have Americans as well. There's a, you know more than it looks like about a dozen right now are still reported missing. Do you believe um, that Hamas, what do you think they're doing with the hostages? Do they understand, obviously, the value that they're using them for bargaining chips? Or is there something more sinister? Like all terrorists, like mostly all jihadi terrorists, on the one hand, that these are the rational Hamas. They understand it's a bargaining chip and they want to use it. But let me warn the public, they are in consultation with the Iran regime. Iran's regime, the Khomeini's regime, are the top world experts on hostage taking. We have known that, you and I have discussed it 20 years ago, what they have done in Lebanon, in Syria, in Israel, around uh, the world, in Iraq, and even in inside Iran. So I am assuming that Hamas and maybe Islamic Jihad, if they have a few of those, are negotiating with the Iranians, and the Iranians have added the hostages inside Gaza to try to defend their own interests in Gaza, but also with Hezbollah. It's a, it's a terrible trade. It's a human trade of hostages that is going on right now. But there is also the fear and the concern that if Hamas is uh, kind of encircled, that they may that they may harm the hostages. That is something that I'm sure Israel, its allies with the United States, some Arab countries as well, like Egypt and Jordan, who have experience in hostage-taking, are, are, are discussing and coordinating about. You know, one of the things we heard um, during the explosion at the hospital in Gaza City, Israel saying, listen, it wasn't us. Here's even a phone intercept they had of a conversation with uh, two Hamas operatives discussing that it looked like it was Islamic Jihad, an errant missile. That was sort of the proof. Um, that was interesting because you and I know uh, that Israel mm. is able to monitor those things, but oh, yeah. I don't know if the average world uh, person in the world understood that. Um, I thought that was really powerful. I guess my question to you, Waleed, is how much do you think they're monitoring or able to monitor uh, many phone calls. Obviously, they were able to monitor that. But do you think they have good intelligence inside to be able to detect Hamas's movements and conversations? They clearly didn't have anything uh, that triggered them before October 7th, that brutal attack. Let me expand a little bit here, Rita. Number one, with regard to the, uh, the monitoring, Israel has an agency or uh, maybe a department that is very similar to our NSA, our super NSA that can hear anything around the planet with all the systems that we have, including satellites. It's the local NSA, and obviously they monitor Gaza. Gaza is not that large. And as I heard personally, the, the tape, it was in Arabic, and I heard exactly the conversation it was very simple. The people were not very smart. They were just having a conversation, one telling the other, oh, that's one of our missiles. You know, he was not like having a strategic conversation. 
And the other guy kept asking, what? Can you explain more? So he explained to him exactly from where the missile was launched, from a parking lot not far behind that uh, hospital. And then he gave him the actual details. That's why the Israelis are saying, well, well, this is it. This is the evidence. But there is another evidence. It's the video that was posted. I also looked at it very, very closely. There were a series of missiles or rockets, let's call them rockets, uh, fired by Islamic Jihad that goes across above the hospital and to slam in Israel. Four, I, I saw three or four blasting into Israel or into the Israeli dome, the protection of Israel. The last one, that was the last rocket, was hit by probably a counter rocket from Israel. And the, the part of it that is heavy fell down all the way into the parking lot. So now I feel that the Israelis and the international community have the most solid version. So it was initially, initially a missile, uh, a rocket sent by Islamic Jihad. It was half intercepted, and that missile fell on uh, the hospital. Now, with regard, you know, understanding what the Israelis, that what the what the Palestinian Hamas were doing, I, I have this to share. Definitely, the Israelis have agents inside Hamas and Islamic Jihad. That's that's for sure, and not just just them. I think we have as well. So definitely. These agents have captured a lot of uh, a lot of chatter. Now, what has happened basically is Hamas was doing those maneuvers every week, every week, every week, to a certain point where probably the analysts of Israel, including the United States, said, "Well, that's Hamas that keeps doing this." And then they ha- must have been—I don't know—but we received the final report. Must have been people inside the military intelligence saying, "But that's." We need to mobilize further. And here we're going to hear about a lot of politics, meaning for Israel to mobilize against Hamas, there is that U.S. pressure by the administration, by the Biden administration, not to engage in a confrontation with Hamas. So be low profile. And obviously in the United States, we're learning now that many in the bureaucracy have a policy of not engaging with Hezbollah, not engaging with Hamas, unless it's obvious. And unfortunately, that led to some letdown in in the protection of the population. And then they conducted it. Hamas conducted the operation by thrusting into. Of course, there are uh, breaches. There are holes in the system. But the general culture was do not engage Hamas. Do not go inside Gaza and then disrupt an activity because that would lead to war. That's what we probably will discover in the future. And Walid Fares, you brought up Hezbollah because obviously uh, they're an enormous threat. Uh, they're, of course, to the north of Israel. They're in Lebanon. How big of an operation is Hezbollah? And explain the difference between them and Hamas. Well, Hezbollah is a direct agent or, if you want, offshoot from the Iran regime. They're not shy about it. The leaders of Hezbollah, including the secretary general, Hassan Nasrallah, says in public, you know, on TV, over the years, all the weapons we have, all the money, all the logistics, all the support comes from the Islamic Republic of Iran. It's something that most Lebanese are very familiar with. That's that Hezbollah. It is at least five times the size of Hamas. So now uh, the listeners can imagine all that problem, all that challenge, all the threats coming from Hamas. Hezbollah is five times the size. And Hezbollah, basically, has a 
land connection with Iran. Uh, Hamas is basically isolated. It has the Mediterranean and surrounded by Egypt and uh, and Israel. It's pretty small. Hezbollah controls large swath of land inside Lebanon, into Syria with Assad, into Iraq and into Iran. So when you touch Hezbollah, you're touching basically the Iran Islamic Republic. Uh, Hezbollah has also one weakness, which is a majority of Lebanese dislike them. A significant part of the Lebanese have been opposing them. There were many incidents over the past three years where Lebanese have civilians in various parts of Lebanon have actually clashed with them. So Hezbollah, though very powerful, it can threaten the northern part of Israel. The Galilee has everything that needs. It can open fire through their terrorist cells around the world, including against America, including inside America. Their weakness is inside Lebanon which is a hint that the international community, the United States, should be in a position now to help any opposition to Hezbollah from inside uh, the country. You know, that's really interesting. And as you're talking to, you said five times the size. Is that in terms of fighters? Is that in terms of military might? We know they have precision-guided missiles that could hit basically any city, I understand, in Israel. Where, where, do, where is their strength? All of the above. It, it has been building since, I don't know, since 1991, since the year I left Beirut. So they have been building all that power. They have been funded by uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran. And here, let, let, let's visit a quick exit and back. Where is that money coming from? Well, Hezbollah's money is coming from Iran. But where's the Iranian regime money is coming from? From the Iran deal. Every billion dollar we have been transferring since 2014, and then, of course, since the signing of the Iran, original Iran deal with the Obama administration all these years. And then again, of course, Trump stopped it for three years. Uh, and then again, under the Biden administration, all these billions of dollars, the four billion from Iraq, the six billion now that have been uh, you know, uh, earmarked for Iran. And of course, the, the gigantic $150 billion. So Hezbollah has been super armed. And let me add one point for our listeners. We even know that Hezbollah has been using, this is, this is new, this is going to be a scandal here. Hezbollah has been using the Lebanese army. They have been infiltrating the Lebanese army. And guess what? Officers from the Lebanese army or from the Iraqi army have been going around the world, being invited by the West to train. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it is very possible that Hezbollah officers camouflaged in Lebanese army or Iraqi army, have been trained in Europe, and guess what, have been trained here. Wow. So how do we weed that out? That's stunning. You have to start from the pyramids, from the top, since the Obama administration, with a brief four years of the uh, Trump administration, and then again now, so eight plus seven years, uh, that policy has protected Iran, not directly, but by shielding Iran from any action. So now, first of all, you need to change policy. You need to go back to the top, to the White House, the president and his national security team. And in view of what happened now, if they don't change policy regarding Iran, we're heading towards a disaster, especially if the Iranians with all that money will be able to get about the enrichment of uranium. You know, that's, that to me is a decoy. They can purchase tactical nukes. They can purchase tactical nukes. All the markets are open from Central Asia, former Soviet republics, from China, and mostly from North uh, Korea. 
So we are heading towards a very critical time. If we don't change our policy, contain Iran, go back to the previous administration of countering Iran. And I'm not being political here. It's like strategic and national security. They need to change. They still have, what, uh, one year to change that policy before we get really busy with the elections. How come they have not purchased tactical newts? Thank goodness they haven't done that. But how come they have not done that yet? Rita, I can't even answer that question because this is theoretical. They have the money to buy it. And this confidence that the Iran regime has in its survival over U.S. pressures, the sanctions and all, where does it come from? They know what we don't know. They know two things. Number one, that this administration is not, a, is not going to counter them. They know that. So that's why you, you feel they're smiling, that the U.S. is not going to hit them. And that's exactly what we've been not doing since uh, 2021, since our withdrawal from Afghanistan. The first act that this administration has done one month or 20 days after taking over in end of January 2021, early February 2021, was to delist the Houthi pro-Iran terrorist organization. I mean, if you start with that, what kind of signal are you sending to Iran? Second, and I'm going to be here very clear because it's already uh, open source. We have appointed, this administration has appointed experts and advisors on Iranian affairs inside our own bureaucracy. There was a major, major revelation 10 days ago. It's online. People can go and listen to it. Mali, right? The one in the State Department. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, not just Mali. Mali was known. This is folkloric almost. Two, three, four high, uh, high sensitive positions have been uh, granted to Iranian. So actually, of course, Iranian have to be Iranian Americans. But then we discovered, they discovered, the journalists who investigated this, that these individuals are corresponding and exchanging emails with the leaders of Iran. Could you just fathom this? This is unbelievable. So if they have those high security clearances, we're not talking about an Israel now or Saudi Arabia. We're talking about Washington. We're talking about the United States. We have been penetrated. When I read those emails, I was in disbelief. I mean, in my book, I said we have been influenced because that's an academic exercise of understanding how Iran operates. But this is real. I mean, your listeners can go and check on the experts of the Iran network of uh, Iranian expert networks, which is funded partially by the United States. And on the other side, you have the Iran regime. So when we are in this situation where the Iranians knows exactly what we're doing, when we send the task force, that's my view. That's not something that I've heard from officials, but it's in the emails. When we send task forces to the region, how come the Iranians knows immediately what our intentions are? Wow. Well, wow. We have a problem. We have a problem in our bureaucracy. That's a huge problem. And Wally, we just have a few seconds left. How big of a threat do you believe Hamas and Hezbollah um, and obviously Iran, who is clearly supporting them both, uh, how big of a threat do you believe they pose to our country? First of all, just uh, this week, they have threatened that if Israel moves into Gaza to remove Hamas, they will attack us in the Middle East, our forces in Iraq, in Syria. We have some presence in Lebanon, but also across the Gulf. So this is not anymore a secret. But the more important matter 
Rita, and I have studied it for years and years. They have large networks in Latin America, in Africa, in Europe. They can target all of our interests. And the biggest network, the thickest network they have is within the United States for years and years, especially with this huge border that has collapsed, in my view. We all as Americans understand that. How many hundreds, maybe thousands of Iran-linked, Hezbollah-linked, Hamas-linked terrorists have crossed that border. Wow. No, it is really frightening. Um, Really stunning information. Everybody be sure to subscribe and share to this very informative and powerful podcast. Uh, Waleed Fares, I think the best Mideast expert out there, also the author of Iran, an imperialist republic and U.S. policy. Thank you so much for educating us and opening our eyes about so many levels tied to terrorism. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rita. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America.